This is my dear friend, Finney Diggish. His name's in tongues. I can't say your last name. Finney is fine. Yes. Finney and Izzy pastor an amazing church called Jubilee over at Waverley in the eastern side of the city. Um, they're in an old uniting church too. But theirs is like really like the real deal, grand old cathedrally like thing. And they have turned that thing into an amazing place, actually. Um, it is quite something phenomenal. They pastor an amazing, amazing church that are really going after the stuff of the Spirit and the kingdom. And we've been working at getting you here for, I don't know, about two years, two and a half, maybe nearly three. It's been a while. And we've finally nailed it. Finally nailed it. So I would love it if you would stand up and give our dear friend Finney a huge welcome as he ministers. Well, after an introduction like that, I can't wait to hear myself. <laughs> it's just a delight to be here, and thank you for having me, and I'm sorry it took so long to get us here. We, uh, we've known these guys for many years. Tim's preached at our church. We did a men's camp with us years ago, and we feel like kindred spirits. We feel like family in the city, and, and uh, when I looked at my GPS, because I was sent the address to get here, and I live in I live in Kensington, and I, I uh, realised that it was 50 k's away. <laughs> I had to check, keep checking. I was still in Sydney, and I hadn't actually left the, left the country yet. And uh, it's just awesome. But you know, it's Jerusalem, Judea, and almost the ends of the earth. That's what I'm like. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I saw fields as I was coming here. <laughs> Only fields near us are the Centennial Park. You know. And uh, it's just a, just a joy to be here, and we, we, I love the local church. It's my passion. I've given myself the last 40 years to, to building and, and loving and, and spreading the good news and spreading joy and teaching on worship uh, and building our local church, Jubilee. So I thought before I start, I'll tell a little bit about myself and about our family. Uh, I am married for 34 years uh, to the same person, and, uh, and she's the... The, the, my wife and the mother of our six kids, and uh, all together uh, at different times, fortunately. But uh, oldest is married. He's having his first child, so I'll be a grandfather in January, which is very exciting. Apparently, it's a bit easier than parenting. I can't wait for that. I'm very open to that. And they span from 26 down to 11. So my 11-year-old keeps us in stitches. He's basically a, a stand-up comic, and... Uh, he was counselling my 19-year-old daughter. I've got four girls, two boys on either end, and then four girls in between, which is interesting as well. A lot of hormones in the house <coughs> and uh, a lot of clothes too, I have noticed. A lot of online shopping. I was like, bing, bing, like I watched my credit card just manifesting. Uh, but it's, he was giving my having a chat with my 19-year-old. had broken up with a boyfriend and, and they were having a heart-to-heart -heart chat and, and Zoe... My 19-year-old was saying to Zach at 11, Zach, where do you get this stuff from? You know, you're 11. So he looked at her and paused and he said, well, I've been through a lot. <laughs> I've got four sisters. <laughs> That's just one of his latest sayings. We've, we've, he's been through a lot. And uh, it's true, I suppose. But who's in his shoes? And, uh, but I love the local church because it's the, it's the bride of Christ. And, uh, you know... I find people who criticize the, the body of Christ 
I find it so strange. It's like going to a wedding and criticizing the bride, you know. It would just be inappropriate. You just wouldn't do it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't make snide comments. You wouldn't criticize her clothing or the timing of her arrival or what she set out for the decor. It just wouldn't be inappropriate, even if you didn't like it. Just none of your business, really. It's not your wedding. And this isn't, this isn't my place either. And I've found over the years that I love the body of Christ. We've got a Catholic church across the way with a priest with an earring and a, and a tattoo. I love him. I love the Presbyterians. I love our uniting church landlords, even though they're driving around the bend. I love, I love Hillsong. I love what they produce. I love every flavor and every part of the body of Christ because it's the bride of Christ. It's actually the bride of Christ. And the last time I checked, Jesus was preparing a bride equal to the groom. So, you know, if we criticize the body or the, the part of the church that we don't like or parts of this church we don't like, which is, you know, if, you, if you're part of this church, if this is your local church, there are parts that you don't like. It's impossible not to be in a family and, and get on with every single person in your whole family. It's just impossible. Uh, if it hadn't, hasn't happened to you yet, it can be arranged, you know. Some <laughs> disagreement, some quirk. When I found a very thriving local church when I got saved, and it was back in 1975, my father said to me, Finney, have you found the perfect church? I said, I have found the perfect church. Awesome worship, amazing preaching. We were on fire for God in those days. We still are. So he said to me this very profound words. He said, Finn, then don't join it because you'll spoil it. And it, and it stuck with me. I thought, yeah, I'm looking for the perfect church, but I'm not perfect. So if I join a perfect church, I'm definitely going to spoil it. And that's why I love the church, because God is taking us from strength to strength and glory to glory. Every time I'm in his presence, even this tonight, being part of your passionate worship, being part of this flavor, this beautiful culture that you are so beautifully developing, I'm encouraged. I'm uplifted. I'm, I'm, I'm better for hearing and seeing you. I'm better for being in your company because you've dug something here. You've pioneering something. You're doing something that's fresh, that's alive, that reflects Jesus, that's based on his word, that's, that's uh, come out of a promise of God. And so every, every Sunday, something's new. Every time we get together, God's got new things to say, new things to do. So I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm putting the old behind me. I'm moving on to what's new. And I'm loving the whole body. How many of you are, are with me tonight? Isn't that a good attitude to have? So we're never pointing fingers. We're never criticizing. You see, you can, you can be a th thermostat or a thermometer. A thermometer just measures the temperature of this room. A thermostat, on the other hand, will determine the temperature in the room. So I can be in a meeting, prayer meeting, worship service. I can be in a church service. I can be here right now. And I can be an observer, like a United Nations observer status. So I just have a clipboard. You know, the worship wasn't bad. Went a bit long, went a bit short. I got a bit bored. Sermon's not bad. That's a thermometer. Just gauging what's there. Church is full, church is half full. You see, that we can do that. We can, we can be that. Or I can be a thermostat, thermostat and, and think, Hey, gee, there's no one worshiping. There's no one dancing in this church. I'm going to dance. There's no one hugging people today. I'm going to hug someone. I think that person over there needs a healing or a prophecy. I'm going to be that person. You see, that's the difference between a thermometer, 
that just gauges, observes, maybe criticizes, or a person who wants to make a difference and just says, I'm going to be the difference in this church. I'm going to be the life in this body. I'm going to smile. I'm going to shake someone's hand. I'm going to give them a hug. I'm going to giggle. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to be myself. And my energy and my joy is going to be contagious, and someone's going to catch what I've got, and it's going to change their life. Come on. Isn't that the way to be? Isn't that the body? Isn't that the kind of church that God wants to build where there's no spectators anymore? You see, the days of the, the priest up front and the body and the, the band up front, and then there's the church, and there's this a bit of a distance between the professionals and those who know what they're doing, or think we know what we're doing, and those that, that spectate. That is over. That's the old covenant. That's where there was a veil, and only the high priest could go in once a year. Aren't you glad there's no veil? Aren't you glad there's no barrier between us and the presence of God? Aren't you glad that we can go because of the grace, because of the blood that was shed? Aren't you glad that we can go boldly before the throne of grace? Every one of us can enter into His presence. Young and old, we can enter into God's presence. Aren't you glad that's where we are today in the body of Christ? And so my joy to you tonight, my joy to be here tonight is to equip you, the saints, for the work of the ministry. I always want to laugh hysterically when I hear about Mary McKinnock and other saints that have been made saints in the body of Christ. She's our own Australian saint. But you know, every Christian in Australia is a saint. Now, in, in the Catholic faith, you have to have two verified miracles. Well, I had that when I was 15. You know, <laughs> come on. So, you know, there's this thing of, this thing of how, you know, you could have these certain things. And, well, in, in my book, every believer can pray for the sick. Every believer can prophesy. Everyone can hear the voice of God. Everyone is alive with God. Everyone has received the Spirit of God. And that's what I have been taught for years and years. And so everybody's a saint. Everybody's a minister. People ask me, Finney, how many ministers do you have in your church? I say about 400, maybe 450. They say, how many in your church? I say about the same. <laughs> you know? Because everyone's a minister. Everyone's in the team. Everyone's making a difference. Everyone can pray for the sick. Everyone can prophesy. Some people do it better than others because they've learned more. They've developed their skills. But that's like in anything. That's the same in tennis, same in golf, same in music. We have one, two, and five talents, talented people on the earth. You want with you? But you see, the beautiful thing about that is that every one of us receive talents. All you have to do is develop it. So if you think, I'm a one, well then give it a bit of time, three months maybe, and you'll be a two. Because every single person who invests in their talents doubled. It doesn't take long for a one to be a four or an eight or a 16 because it just grows. That's the exponential growth that God, that Jesus used in that parable. And that's what's for you and me today. That's what God, God's got for this beautiful church, I-61. And I love that name. They stole it from us. <laughs> or we started from them, I don't know. Or maybe you got it from the Bible. Whew, let's think about that. No, I, it, was, it was a long time ago. It was 1992, and I was leading worship. That was my, that was my first passion, my first love was worship leading. And I was in a, in a church on the coast of uh, South Africa where we came from, where I was born. And uh, I found myself in a place of prophetic worship. And we were singing and singing in the Spirit and singing in the Spirit. And all of a sudden, I found myself singing this new song about the Day of Jubilee. 
I was singing, this is the day, the day of Jubilee. This is the day, the day of Jubilee. This is the day of Jubilee for those in Jesus Christ. This is the day that I am free. This is the day of Jubilee. And we all sang it, and it just became the song, and everyone caught the, the chorus of it. And we sang it, and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm singing, but it sounds amazing. And because uh, it was prophetic, it was spontaneous. It just, it just bubbled up like, like coffee and just came out, and it was, it was amazing. And uh, then I thought, I better go and find out what this means. Because God gave me this, this song, this word, this, this phrase. And then I studied it and I looked at the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus where it speaks about the, uh, and Jesus prophesied obviously in, in Luke 4. He said, he said you know, this is, the, this is the year of God's favor. This is the day that what you've been longing for has come to pass. I said, well, what is this longing? What is this experience that Jesus was speaking about that has now been fulfilled? The year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee. Anyway, I went back in time, I looked back in history, I looked at different uh, commentaries, and I looked up, the, 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 there was the, every seventh year was a Sabbath year. In the, in the Sabbath year, the, God said to his people, you must let your land lie fallow. Just let it lie fallow for a whole year. And, and the stranger and the visitor and the, 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 well, the sojourner will be able to come past and just pick and live off what is on the field. And in, in that year, let, the, let, the, let the, the slaves go free. Restore people to their original land. And there was this, then at the 50th year, there was this land, this, this year of Jubilee, where people would be set free from debts. People would be set free from, if they had uh, incurred a debt to a neighbor or a friend, in their 50th year, it says, you must let them go free. It says, proclaim, uh, blow a trumpet throughout the land and proclaim, this is the Lord's Jubilee. And it was a very important day. And it was, it was to be celebrated throughout the land. And I looked at this, and I looked at the implications of what that means in terms of freedom, in terms of freedom from sin, in terms of freedom in grace, in terms of freedom from the law, in terms of freedom from habits and addictions, and in many things I was looking at and, and studying this verse, and I thought, I wonder if it ever was, was actually participated, if Israel ever participated. And there's no record in history of this ever having taken place. From the time it was spoken in Deuteronomy and Leviticus to when Jesus said, now this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So you can imagine after 39 years or after 45 years when someone's gotten to debt and have to, had to give the, the title deeds of their property to somebody else, a neighbor or a friend or a cousin, they'd be looking forward to getting it back again, wouldn't they, in the 50th year? But it never happened. There's no record of ever someone saying, you know, mate, look, I've got, I've got your land because you got into debt and you've been my, my slave and, and now I'm setting you free because it's the, the year of Jubilee. So it was a theory. It was, a, it was one of the, the, the instructions of the Lord. I couldn't find. Maybe, maybe I, I haven't researched enough, but I couldn't find a place where it says, and this year was the year of Jubilee. And right throughout Israel, because there was land that was given in perpetuity to every tribe and every, 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 every family and household was given a portion of land. That's why in the Psalms it says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. What was that? That was land that was given to you. The boundary line would literally be a line that would follow the contour of the land. It would be demarcated. In these modern days, we'd use a theodolite and we'd have a proper boundary, boundary lines. And that would be your land in perpetuity. You would have it. You would give it to your children and your children's children. That would be for yours forever. It was in the promised land. You hear what I'm saying? Well, people got that land. And up to the 50th year, some of that land was lost but it wasn't restored until Jesus came. That's why there was an inheritance that God's got for you as a church, I-61. 
It's the it's inheritance of people. It's inheritance of family. It's inheritance of nations. It's, it's a portion of the land that God said, I've given it to you to restore, to take back what the enemy has stolen. People's lives, people's marriages, people's physical bodies, people, people's mental condition. You're going to take it back because that's what Jubilee is. And you know when, when, the, when, when the year of Jubilee is? It's every year. <laughs> every year is a year of Jubilee. So it's become my life message. And I love the name of your church because to me it epitomizes everything that, that Christianity and Jesus stands for. Whenever I see people, whenever I hear their stories, I think this is the year of Jubilee. This is why I came to Sydney. This is why God sent us. So in, in 92, we had that encounter with God. Then God said to us in an encounter, we were at a church uh, in Durban, quite a significant church, ministering, and God fell on that, on that, on that whole congregation. It was uh, one of those extraordinary outpourings of the Spirit, and uh, people were stuck to the floor for hours. In fact, we had a morning service at 9. We finished, I don't know, somewhere but around 12.31. I went home for lunch and came back for the evening service at 6, and there were still people stuck to the floor from the morning service. They hadn't moved. One guy, Phil Morkel, he's a, he's a financial advisor. He was roaring like a lion. So badly, he couldn't speak. He couldn't speak English. He couldn't go to work for a whole week. And his friends would phone him and say, Phil, Jesus. And he'd go, ah, ah. You say, Finny, why? It's a sign and a wonder. Uh, it's, it's something you can't make up. He's a, he's a very conservative fellow, actually. He's not... He's like as straight as you can imagine. He's not an artist or some sort of wild fellow. He's the, he's the guy you know, if Phil's roaring, it has to be God. Anyway, he was, he was on all fours, and it, it was, he tried to testify that night about the fact that when the lion roars, it's demarcating territory. It was very significant spiritually. And if you were around in the, in the Toronto uh, move of God back in the 90s, you know, that was actually quite common. Throughout the world, people began to roar spontaneously, and it's because the line of Judah roars. He roars his, his territory. He's roaring and saying, this city of Sydney is mine. This portion of where, where you're called to, to labor in the vineyards, it's mine. There's an there's a ownership that God has over his church that's, that sometimes, and if you're an intercessor, you'll know what that feels like, where you think, I'm, I'm making sounds and groans too deep for words. That's what it looks like. Anyway, that was 92. And we were pretty touched. We, were like, we haven't th- seen this before. It clearly is God. And I'm in awe of you, God. It's amazing. That week we, we, were, we were resting at home. And a demon uh, visited us in our home. I'm not really uh, happy about demons visiting our home. But we had made a, a decision to do some outreach in our, in our locality. There was a lot of Indian people that were in our area. We wanted to reach out to them. We had some ideas. We are talking about it. We were excited. At 2 in the morning... Um, I hear this gurgling sound. It's, it's my wife being strangled in the bed next to me by, a, by physical hands. And, you know, demons do that stuff. Uh, and I just prayed for her and it left straight away because, you see, the last time I checked, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to us, his church and his bride. We have authority over everything. Everything ha- and he has a name, any condition, any r- d- ruler, any demon, any power. We have authority over that. And I'm not scared of it. I don't glorify it, but I just say, I dealt with it, it left. And then we ended this amazing encounter where my wife saw this silver battering ram. And, and the Lord said to, to her, and I was just writing it down, that God's going to give you particular success with churches in Sydney. 
And I remember writing it down thinking, really? I'd never been to Sydney. I had no desire to go to Sydney. I hadn't heard God about going to Sydney. I, uh, I just wrote it down because when God speaks and you're in an authentic encounter, you take notes, you, you journal it, and you think you'll keep that for later because you've no idea what it means. And only then in 93, we felt the Lord call us to the nations. You know, we'd heard this word for, for years. We're part of a movement that had a strong emphasis on church planting. In every village, every town, etc. that's the way to reach and disciple nations was to plant churches, which is why I love being here tonight. And we were going to obey God, and we felt that a door had opened in Australia because we had friends in Adelaide, and, and that opened, and another church in Perth had opened a door for us to come in and get a visa, and we pursued that door, and finally migrated in '95. End of uh, in '96, we were ministering in Europe, and we had moved to Adelaide, and we kind of felt a little bit out of sorts. We didn't feel at home in Adelaide. We felt like it's a nice city; someone should live there, but we didn't feel it should be us. And uh, we, we just had this idea, why don't we move to Sydney? You know, we didn't know anyone doing anything in Sydney within our movement, and we didn't know any churches in Sydney, and we knew there were churches, but we didn't know anyone in Sydney, and we thought maybe we should go there. And uh, we, we submitted to our team, the team we we're part of. We were meeting in London and, uh, for that particular meeting, and they said, yes, the fizzies should go to, to Sydney, that's good. Fizzies, that's fizzy, Finny and Izzy together makes the fizzies, all right? <laughs> and... Uh, we had two children at that time, and, and so we then, I had, we, we had, by being in Europe, we'd left um, Jordan, who was about two at the, at the time, Tanner hadn't been born yet, and he had got crook while we were away, and we'd left him, obviously we'd just immigrated, so we didn't know a lot of people in Adelaide, we'd left him with his, this family, and he was like throwing up every hour, and had diarrhea, and we were, felt very vulnerable for him, being so sick, and we weren't there to comfort him. And so that night we went into our room in, in the hotel just to pray for him, just to pray up a storm and think, this has got to stop now. We're going to pray for our son. He's going to be healed because God's, you know, God's not contained by space and geography. So we prayed for him. While we're praying for him, the glory of God filled our room. And I don't know how to describe this to you. I thought if I open my eyes, I might die. Happily, of course, because I knew it was God or an angel. I, I wasn't quite sure. But the awe of God, the, the glory of God, I haven't had anything experienced like that in my life before. He came into the room, and then my wife went into this vision, and she saw a beach, which now we know was Bondi Beach, and he, and he gave us this, this banner, the phrase, the eastern suburbs, and the wealthy community, and a whole lot of things, the extraordinary, will open a trapdoor into this community. He gave a whole lot of pictures and phrases that we, I wrote down again, and uh, after some time, we came out of that encounter, and we're like, oh, I think, I think we should go to Sydney's eastern suburbs. But you see, being a Durban boy, I'm... I grew up on the east coast of, of South Africa, a place called Durban. There wasn't any eastern suburbs because there was north and south, and the city was on the coast, so there was no eastern suburbs because that was, that was the city was right there on the beach like many other cities like Coffs Harbour or, I don't know, Brisbane, I don't know. But, but I thought, well, we'll have to get a map book and see. So we went, when we flew back to Adelaide, we bought a map book of Sydney, and we thought, oh, it exists God's pointed us right in the right direction. And so it was so easy for us to know the clarity of God's call. It wouldn't be a, 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 once we got there, and uh, I remember the, the, the joke, because we got to, to Sydney Airport, we'd put everything in, in containers, in our container to, to ship across to Sydney. And, but I left our car there because we had a long trip around the world doing different ministry. And uh, so I took um, my, 
my son, my older son, to, to Adelaide to drive the car back and left Izzy with our then uh, new, newer baby, Tanner, in, in, uh, at the airport. And so I went to the airport because I was flying to Adelaide and I just picked a hotel in Oxford Street because I thought I saw the city. I didn't know anyone in Sydney. I saw Oxford Street heading out of the city. I thought, well, that's going east. I'll pick a hotel there, you know. Then she can go and start looking for a house and all that kind of stuff while I go and pick up our car in Adelaide and drive it over. She phoned me that night. I was somewhere in, in the Hay Plains, I think, on the way. And she's like, you, you put me smack bang in the middle of the gay district. All, my, all the people in the hotel are having parties and it's very interesting what's going on around me. I said, well, babe, welcome. Welcome to Sydney, you know. And, you know, that was the beginning of our church plant. And we did a lot of, a lot of fun things, a lot of stupid things as well. And we burned ourselves out and we recovered and we have had amazing moves of God. And all of that journey began because God has a dream for this city of Sydney. Churches in Sydney, not just church, a church, or church by churches. Many, many different denominations, groups, independent churches. I, I prefer the independent ones because I don't like the denominational spirit that comes with a kind of uh, what I call a franchise, where you go into one and you've been to them all. You see that you can earn this, you know, order the same hamburger or the same, you know, fr- it'll taste the same, look the same wherever you are. I hate that. I just think God is not like that. Families aren't like that. Children aren't like that. Every, everywhere you look at a child, every single sibling, we've got six of them, they're all different. Isn't that beautiful? And every church should be different. Every church should be fresh. Every church has a mandate. Every church has a, has a, has a mom and a dad who are unique, and, and they will uh, pass on that DNA to the congregation, and we'll pick it up and, and run with that. And you've got a great, great couple leading you. Amazing couple. That's a good time to just say, woo, yes, amen, come on. That's why you're here. You see, God, God drew you because you're looking for leaders. Sheep are looking for shepherds, and shepherds need sheep. We need each other. And the shepherd goes ahead of the flock, and the flock follow. And all I want to encourage with you, tonight, you tonight with is that the, the, the exuberance that you follow the shepherds will, will determine how far you go and how fast you go. The exuberance with which you follow the shepherds will determine how fast and how far this church will go. Because number one, for you to grow, and I can see you kind of filled this building out, and I hear you have to move, which, which kind of is how God gets us to grow and, and do new stuff, will mean that you'll need to multiply yourself. Because biologically, shepherds don't produce sheep. Come on. You see, sheep produce sheep. Now, if you have, a, if you have a, uh, a thermometer kind of approach, you'll just check it out and see how it's going, and, and someone should do this, and someone should do that. Or, or you have a thermostat approach where you think, I'm going to find someone and lead them to Christ, pray for them, get them delivered and healed, because I know I can do that. That's what's going to grow this church. You can make a difference by believing who you are and what you can do in this church. Because if you think it's up to them, They'll just get exhausted and, and we will not finish the, the, the race. But if you realize that you are there to be a thermostat, make a difference, produce the life that you've got, as different as you are, because the reason why you're here is because you're different. We don't need same, same people, all kind of dressed the same, look the same, card-carrying members. We want people that are unique, that know their calling, know what God's got them got on their lives, and they're willing to contribute to the future 
by, by saying yes to God and by saying yes to what God's put them into. Come on. That's how it works. And I just want to equip you in that. I want to encourage you in that because that's how we've grown. It's by, by, by God adding to our number. It first began with the Holy Spirit. We God's, God got us to the Eastern Suburbs by the Holy Spirit. We got a, a vision from heaven when Izzy then finally went to look for a house. She caught a bus down Bondi Road. As she turned the corner at that bottom left-hand sweeping bend and, and saw the beach for the first time, she was right back in that vision. And so it doesn't matter what we've seen. We've seen witchcraft. We've seen weird things. We've had actual human poo twice poured, buckets of it. I don't know how you gather it. I do know, but I just think, who would go to that trouble? But on our doorstep, weird tapes and signs and really weird things happening as we were trying to start get, the, get traction and get going. But, you know, whatever came against us, nothing was going to stop what God had called us to do because the opposition was just an opportunity to overcome and to grow and to learn and to die. And uh, I know that I've heard people say before, you know, God, Brian, Brian Simmons talks about when God took him to uh, South America to, to be a missionary. And when he was there, he felt he was there to reach the, the, the pa pa Panama and those, the Indian tribes in those areas. And God said to him, no, I called you there to reach you. <laughs> and you see, I feel that God called me to Sydney to reach me, to get me to a place where I was broken and had lost the, the way to do it in my strength and lost the, the, the way to do it through my clever ideas. I'm a good worship leader. I'm, I'm, I can preach well, but I came to the end of my rope. I came to the end of my tether. I came to a place where I cannot do it unless you turn up, unless you come in power, unless you come and move. I can't do this. And it was a good place. It was a happy place. Because he's unless a seed dies and falls to the ground, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears many seeds. And I'm dead. I'm dead to my reputation. I'm dead to the need to impress people. I'm dead to the need to be everything to everyone. I don't need a big church, a small church. I'm dead to all those things that make us look successful. I'm dead to those things. But Christ is alive in me. And it seems like everywhere I go, there's life. And people do get healed and saved and delivered. That's because I died. <laughs> Come on. And it's good news. And it gives God glory. Because he starts to do things only he can do. And that's one of the things God challenged me with many years ago. I was leaving a meeting and going. I ministered in many countries and cities. And I was driving home. And the Lord said to me, like an audible voice, he said, what happened today that only I could do? And when God asks a question, it's usually because he, he knows the answer, but he wants you to think about the answer. It's not because he doesn't know the answer. Like when he asked Adam, where are you? It wasn't because he had lost him, you know? He was asking, Adam, where are you at? And so when he asked me that question, I'm like, well, <laughs> what are you saying? And he was saying to me, Finney, whenever you, wherever you go, whatever you do, give me an opportunity to be God. Give me an opportunity to do things that only I can do. And what are the things that only God, God can do? Well, only God can save people. Only God can heal people. Only God can deliver people of evil spirits. Only God can heal the brokenhearted. I can't do that. Come on. And so since that day, that would have been decades ago, I've made a decision wherever I go and whatever I do, I give God opportunity to be God 
Why? Because when he does those things, he gets the glory. And we have so many trophies of grace, of people who've come into our midst. You know, when you say that you're a R61 church, that's a, that's a passage about freedom. It's a pas- pas- passage about deliverance. It's a passage about healing, inner healing. It says, Jesus said, I will, the first thing you do, I'm going to heal the brokenhearted. And so what does he do? He turns up and he loves a woman who has, has been married five times. Come on. Come on. Five times. Five men have rejected her. Five men have said, you're not good enough for me. She's been, and then the sixth man she's living with, and she's too scared, or he's too scared to marry her, thinking, you've been married five times. I just want to use you for what I can get. Come on. Jesus was taking an example, an extreme example. I don't know anyone who's been married five times. But he was taking an extreme example because he wants to show us, the church, that he came to heal every extreme example of brokenness in society. And I've discovered there's a lot in Sydney of people who've broken. They're in their second, third marriage. They've been, had, had abuse. They've had different, you know, blended families. There's lots of stories going on. And every time I know that, that I meet someone like I think, you're a candidate to get healed. There was a woman who came into our church and she was abused in, in, the East, in Bondi, had a father who abused her for years, hadn't told anybody until she told me. Now she's in her late 40s. I'm thinking she's never spoken to a, a single person about this. Why? Because the presence of God makes you vulnerable. And if a leader is trustworthy and you have trust with the leaders, people will begin to open up their life story. And so I began to pray for her. And we had some breakthrough, but she was uh, psychotic. I gave her my number. Maybe I shouldn't have. I gave her my number. And she would phone me five times a day. And she said, someone's climbing up my balcony. I said, look, I don't think someone's climbing up your balcony, but I'll pray for you, and you'll be good. And so I'd pray for her. And she'd ring the home number, and the kids would say, you know, because they were like, I just say to her, look, you cannot find my home. That's, that's my personal space. And try to put some boundaries in place. So, you know, we, went, we went on for one or two years like this. And I'm like, Jesus, I know Heidi Baker prophesied that the strange fish would come. I don't know if you heard that prophecy. She was in Sydney. She, we, we hosted her in, in 2010. And I'm like, they all came to Jubilee. It's clearly all the strange fish. <laughs> and then Stacey Campbell prophesied about creatures of the deep. I said, we already got the strange fish. We don't need more creatures of the deep as well. You know, <laughs> Give us a break. But I remember one, one, one Sunday morning, the glory fell and we couldn't preach. The glory was so strong and the presence of God was so amazing. And I remember seeing this beautiful woman at the back of the church with her hands lifted up for an hour and a half. I don't know if she put them down. I just looked every now and then and her hands were raised, tears streaming down her face for an hour and a half. And uh, sometime, maybe days later, I got to talk to her. I said, what happened in the worship? Because lots happened. I don't know. You know, in the the glory realm, you don't know always what happens because people have an inner story and they have encounters with God and you think, "What, what happened? And sometimes you get a chance to hear that story. And she said, in the worship, in that place of glory, I went into the river of God. I was in the river with God, with Jesus. I could see the, 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 the gemstones on the banks. And I just felt my soul was getting healed. He spoke to me. He loved me. I don't know how long it went on for, an hour and a half. I don't know if she's called me since. I mean, she's called me once or twice to say, Finney, would you like, can I take you out for lunch? I didn't know she had any money. We took about a, a, a building offering two, two years ago, and she said, I've got, a, I've got an offering for you. I'm thinking maybe she'll give her 150 bucks. I think she's on Centrelink. I have no idea. Uh, she's just dropped a check for $10,000 into the building fund. I'm like, 
You see? Don't judge a book by its cover. She's, she's just she's on the door this morning when I walked to church, greeting people, loving people, leading people to Christ, baptizing people in Bondi Beach. Come on, you see, this is the reason why we have churches. This is the reason why we worship. This is the reason why we preach the gospel. This is the reason why I came to Sydney. And I, I, I could tell you stories for the next two hours of people who've come through our doors. Some of them have stayed. Some of them have become discipled and grown. Others have moved cities or they've moved churches. I don't really care. I'm not the custodian of the sheep. I'm a shepherd. But they're Jesus' sheep. Come on. They're Jesus' sheep. We only have them for a day, a season, a week, or 10 years. I always hope for 10 years, but that's not always the case. But I, I, I know that's the reason why I came. And that's the reason why you're here. You're here to grow. You're here to, if, if this is your home, to get plugged in. Put your roots down. Don't be a visitor forever. If you're a visitor tonight, visit for a time. And then think, if this is the culture that I resonate with. If, this, if I feel the chemistry of, the, the, of this church is my, is my chemistry. Because that's what makes you want to put your roots down. If you don't put your roots down, and I'm not a biologist, but I know that if you don't put the roots down, the thing just... Does, it looks a bit funky after a while. I love gardening. And I've tried to transplant things. And they, they go into shock for a while when they're getting transplanted. And then slowly the leaves come out again. And they start to flower and produce fruits. But if you want to produce fruit, you have to put your roots down. Your roots determine your fruits. If you have no roots, there won't be fruits. Not very good English, but you get the, you get the story. It just rhymed better. So put your roots down. If you want to grow, you've got to go deep. You've got to take some risks. You have to be vulnerable again. And if you've been in church for more than three weeks, you're going to be disappointed. Someone's going to let you down, hurt you, do something, miss you. They'll, they'll announce everyone's birthday except yours. You know, that kind of thing. You know, you're just going to have something that's going to wrong. And so get over that quickly because that's part of growth. Part of growth is learning to get on with people you don't like. Getting on with people that are different to you. Coping with, like if you're not a flag person and the kids are coming around you and you kind of ducking because the kids are flagging, get over yourself early. Because to me, that's the color of life. You take out the flags, make it safe, make it, make it just so there's no loud music, no, no, no prophetic music. Well, you're not left with much after that. Let the children run. Let them play. Let them love the worship. Don't stifle them because that's, the children belong to the kingdom. And, and that childlikeness, perhaps I'm running with a banner, well, maybe it should be you. Maybe you had a, had, a, had a lousy childhood and you never ran with a banner. Just one Sunday, just say, hey, give me that banner. I want to run with that banner. And then you have a happy childhood and you relive some of the things that you'd love to do that you were never allowed to do because you grew up in a very stuff, stiff and starchy and stuck-up church where no one ran with banners. Come on. Because that's what freedom looks like. But you're going to grow if you put your roots down. You're going to grow if you, if you give your soul to this church. And to do that, you have to trust again. And if you've been disappointed, maybe your trust has been like, oh, I don't know if I can trust people. But you see, your trust is there to give it away again. I can't say, that person hurt me, therefore I'll never trust again. No, 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 no. I get over the trust. I get over the issue, the hurt. And then I say, I'm going to trust you again. I just love the fact that Jesus gives Judas the bag of money to look after when he has issues with money because he actually wants to invest trust in someone. You know, you know what I'm trying to say? He doesn't say, look, you, you've had issues with money. You've had issues with that. I'm never going to trust you again. You're never going to touch the bag. Now I'm like, no, that's not the way of the kingdom. 
The kingdom is God's a God of second chances and third chances. And when I've been disappointed with people, and I've, I've, I've been hurt in church. Come on. I got lots of sheep bites. <laughs> lots of weird emails. Lots of really strange things that have been said to me. And I am completely over them all. I am completely healed. I can see those people. I can give them a love and a hug. I'm not avoiding anybody in the body of Christ. Why? Because life's too short. I am a healed person because healed people heal people. Did you you hear that? The opposite's true, but I'd prefer to stay on the word of healed people heal people. Say that out loud. So as we get healed of our dramas and pains, and maybe you're on a journey, maybe you're not fully healed, that's also good, that's fine. As long as you realize that you're avoiding things or avoiding people because you have an issue. Like if, I say, if someone says, let's take up the offering, and you manifest. Because maybe you've been in a church where offerings were hammered, and you had to give more than 10%. You got to give, and offerings, and the message was longer, the offering message was longer than the, than the sermon. Whatever. I don't know what your background is. I, I've never been part of that. So I, I, hear, I hear it happens, but I haven't had the issue. I, I've just been generous from when I was 17. I've tithed. I've lost everything along that way. You know, I, I, I tithed when I was 17, and then we got to Adelaide and uh, invested, because we weren't going to stay buy a house there, we invested all our capital in, an, in a company. And when we got to Sydney, we discovered that that company had gone insolvent. So we lost everything. It was only $30,000, but it was $30,000. It was everything we had. <laughs> and I'm like, we're planning a church. We need money. In the eastern suburbs. So funny. We, we lived in, a, in Adelaide. We lived in a, in a four-bedroom house with two lounges overlooking the ocean. Hallett Cove. Like a 180-degree view of the ocean. Uh, every day. And I'd run through the park and be on the beach. We moved, and we were paying $180 a week for that house. I know. Sounds like just before the war. Certainly, it feel like another country. Anyway, I moved to, to Sydney, and all we could find was a two-bedroom house in Bondi Junction with no view. Uh, we just had a lot of tra- noise, uh, traffic noise, and I remember we, couldn't, we had white linen on our beds, and we couldn't leave the windows open because the, the soot from the, the, the cars would, would get onto our white linen. And we'd hear sirens at night because it was Birrell, just off Birrell Street, and it was like really – we had no idea, obviously, when we rented it, that it was so noisy. And that was for $530 a week. I remember, there's a bit of a difference. But we had no money. And you see, I just know because God's good and I have developed over the years a culture that regardless of what I go through, God is good. Come on. Even if I'm having a Job experience, at the end of Job's life, he gets twice as what he had. Family, finance, sheep, goats, chariots. He got everything twice as much. Amen. So I was a bit surprised when I lost everything because I just thought I don't, I know people who it happens to, but it never happened to me. I just believed in the goodness of God. And God said to me, the voice of God, he said, that money that you've lost, it's not just going to come back to you. So no one's going to walk up to you and give you a check and think, you poor minister, here's he the $30,000 you lost. He said, save it back. This is helping somebody here tonight. Save it back. I'm like, save it back. It's a lot of money. But in the, it was in the year 2000, and I remember just thinking, okay, I'll just obey God. And that next year, 2001, we moved, uh, we had each house we lived in, the owners kept selling it, so we had to keep moving. We moved from 
the junction to Vaucluse, and then from Vaucluse we moved to Kensington. And so we're in this house in Kensington. It's 2001. By this stage, I've probably saved $2,000, all right? I'm just saving every week, putting money aside, every bit of royalties or honorariums we, we, we got, we saved. We ferreted away. We were just very frugal. We took our kids out of private schools because we somehow felt they should go to private schools. We said, no, let's put them in public schools. We're going to save money and buy a house in Sydney. I, I, I don't know where I said that, but somewhere I thought we should try and get property in Australia at least, maybe in Adelaide. And, uh, <laughs> and we moved to this house in, in Kensington, and my wife said to me, uh, Finney, you must write to the owner. He's an Anglican minister in, in Melbourne. And say to him, if he ever wants to sell the house, would he give us first offer? I looked at her like, <laughs> we got $2,000, you know. <laughs> I knew even then, back in 2001, it would be worth over a million dollars. But I just I didn't say much because I've learned that the beginning of wisdom is obeying your wife. <laughs> I have learned that lesson a hundred times. And uh, it took me a few times to learn that. Anyway, I wrote to him, sent him some CDs of our music and said, Hey, Paul, we're your new tenants. I hadn't met him uh, because we just got it through an agent. And if you ever sell, want to sell the house, won't you give it to us? Or sell it to us. And... Uh, Give it to us, so it'd be even better. But sell it to us. So we, we then saved. Over the next three weeks, we saved all that three years. We saved all that money back. All the money we lost in Adelaide, we saved it back through diligence, through hard work. We tithed at the same time. Did I mention tithing somewhere? You see, because I'm over my thing of offense with, with God, with the church, with people taking my money. I have given to our movement all our royalties for about five years. We gave them $60,000 in royalties. Probably erroneously, we just felt we should sow everything that we ever earned out of our music. It was wrong. We overgave. But you see, God showed me that we gave it to Him. It wasn't to the movement. That's why I believe in tithing to local church under grace. Well, because tithing was before the law. Tithing came with Abraham. Tithing, Abraham's the, 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 the father of our faith, and he tithed to Melchizedek, who's a type of Christ. To me, it's just like right in the foundation of my life is our tithe. And I give. So we gave, we tithed, we sowed, we lost all this money. We were perplexed. But God said to us, save it back. So we saved $40,000 in three years. Extraordinarily, not earning a big wage, just through God, being diligent and obeying God. God, God moves heaven and earth when you obey Him. Come on. He does. You want to hear the end of the story? It's going to end well. So he, he phones me out the blue. I've never spoken to him. He says, hey, Finney, it's Paul. It's 2004. He said, I want to sell the house. I said, well, have it valued. Let me know what it's worth. So he had it valued and faxed me. Remember faxes? <laughs> <laughs> See, some really old people here. He sent me a fax, and it was $1.3 million. And he said to me, Finney, now I had $40,000, remember? So I was still a bit short. And... Uh, <laughs> Oh, that looks good. Anyway, uh, I said to him, <laughs> thank you very much. He said, he said to me, Finney, what I want to do, though, now I've never met him. To this day, he's an Anglican archbishop, archdeacon, sorry, in, in, in Melbourne. And uh, he said to me, what I want to do is I want to give you my tithe. I'm like, you want to tithe to me? I don't even know if Anglicans did tithe. <laughs> you know? Really? I, I mean, I was so shocked. I said, what do you mean? He said, no, I'm going to take $150,000 off the price to give it to you at that price. I'm like, seriously? That's amazing. So anyway, long story short, we spoke to the bank and 
borrowed a lot of money and spoke to my brother who had money in London and he and I, someone in the church uh, borrowed money against their property in, in Strathfield to help us get a 20% deposit, etc. And we, 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 went, we were a little bit short. We, we talked to him and said, I can only offer you this much. He said, that's a bit little. Anyway, he, we got it for a quarter of a million dollars less than it was worth. And he said, I'm delighted to give you to that at that price. Who does that in Sydney? Come on. Why don't we just shout and give Jesus some applause? If you don't own a property in Sydney yet, that's a story for you. If you're saving your deposit, let me tell you, I mean, our house has gone up three times from when we bought it. At least three times, maybe four times. I don't know because I'm not selling it. But I just know that it's, it's, it's been an incredible story for our church, for our children. My oldest son has just bought his uh, first property in, in um, Marubra and moves in on the 1st of November. Come on. Isn't God good? So why do I say all that? Because God's faithful. God restores the years the locusts have eaten. We've had a very uh, roller coaster ride of our church plant in the eastern suburbs. But God's been faithful. He's added families to us who've put their roots down and worked with us. Some have stayed for many years and purchased property in the eastern suburbs and worked with us. Some have said, it's too expensive. I'm going to move to Adelaide. And we've had lost hundreds of people who've moved in, you know, out of Sydney because of the cost of living. And even them, we've blessed. This morning, there was a family who are visiting us from Ireland. And they were sons in the house. We, we raised them up as, into amazing leaders, and they're now living in Ireland. They came back. We've had other people have gone to Bethel and come back and are serving God out of our church. You know, whatever it is, God has built, is building his church. And he said the gates of hell or the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So I want to encourage you to be a thermostat. Make a difference. Get filled with the Spirit. Believe that what God's put in you, somebody else wants to see and wants to know. Don't be a spectator. Don't be someone who just turns up and, and kind of, well, we'll see what happens today. No, come in and make a difference. And I want to make it a legal service by just reading a scripture to you. <laughs> this wasn't quite what I had. I had a few other things I wanted to say, but I, wanna, I felt in the worship to bring this word to you. I want to teach you something tonight to equip you. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Holy. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. We, we, we've probably read it many times, um, but I want to give you a fresh perspective on this. <clears throat> Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. It's pretty straightforward. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So there's an active verb, be filled with the Spirit. Say it out loud. So that's something we can do. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Then he goes to describe to us how to do that. How are we filled with the Spirit, Paul? Thank you for asking that question. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. and goes on. So don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. 
Instead, be filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? How do I get filled with the Spirit? Now, there's many ways we can get filled with the Spirit that aren't right there, because we know that um, Jesus said, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh and wait in the city until you clothe the power from on high. We see that he speaks that, Acts 1, he promises it. Acts 2, we see this amazing outpouring of the Spirit. People are just literally spilling out of the upper room, speaking in new languages, prophesying the wonders of God. People are understanding it in their own languages. They're thinking, what is this? They're amazed and perplexed. Acts chapter 4, there's a repeat of that, another outpouring. In Acts chapter 19, Paul goes to Ephesus and he asks them, he said, have you received the Holy Spirit? They said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So he said, well, we received the the baptism of, of John's baptism. No, he says that was a baptism of repentance. And he laid hands on them and they began to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit was poured out. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius' house. We see another outpouring of the Spirit spontaneously. While uh, Peter's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. So the Gentiles are getting filled. The Jews are getting filled. People are speaking in tongues and prophesying. And it's happening in meetings. It's happening through laying on of hands. And here it's happening through singing of songs. Can you see the, 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 the beautiful picture of heaven is not like you've got to do it this way or you've got to do it that way. This is the method that we're going to teach you today. No, I'm just teaching you that it happens spontaneously. You can get it in the shower. You can get it in a service. You can get it through someone laying hands on you. And you can get it by generating it yourself. You can generate the filling of the Holy Spirit. You can stay full by being a, by being a person who follows this very clear uncomplicated structure in Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So what are the psalms and hymns? Well, we did, I think, four or five of them tonight. They're psalms and hymns. They're the great hero songs. They're songs about God's character. They're songs about His goodness. They reflect, they're from the Scripture, they're sometimes quite personal. They're reflective. Some are, some are kind of worship. Some are very praise, de- declarative. But all of those scriptures we sang tonight did something for us. They shifted because we were speaking to one another. Some of them were towards God, but some of them were kind of congregational encouragement, really. We're encouraging ourselves about our freedom in Christ, about the character of God. We're encouraging each other. The Psalms and hymns are easy. We follow them. We've done that tonight. What about the spiritual songs? Can I equip you in some spiritual songs tonight? Would that be good? I love this stuff. I'm quite good at it. See, spiritual songs fall into a few categories. You get the spiritual songs that are new songs. The new song is where we see it in Revelation in heaven, and they sang a new song. And they're singing a new song. And sometimes it describes what the words of that song was. Sometimes it goes, worthy is the Lamb. Holy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth. Worthy is the Lamb. That was the new song that they sang. Now, you see, when it says, and they sang a new song, or sing to the Lord a new song, often in the Psalms, sing a new song. What does that mean? Well, it means just sing a new song. Not an old song. Not the latest song, not the one that comes from the latest album that you got from your favorite artist. That's not a new song. That's an old song. When it was sung, it was new. And now it's been sung, it's old. (laughs) Come on. You see, you have creativity. Each of you, how many of you are, are created in the image of God? 
So I see a lot of nodding. That's good. Thank you very much for that. I see your, I see your nods. Now, you see, because you're nodding, you mean I, you've been created in the image of God. You've been created creative. Many people tell me, oh, I'm not creative. I can't draw. I can't sing. No, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. None of that. You've been created in the image of God. Therefore, you're creative. You've got new songs public inside of you. You've got something that you need to express. You've got a love language that God needs to hear, and you need to hear for you to be filled. You've got filled already through these first two things. The Psalms and hymns are easy. We know that it's a structure. We are comfortable with that. What about creating a little bit more space for spiritual songs, new songs, spontaneous songs, phrases, lines that come from heaven? You see, many of the songs that we sing actually began in a, in a new song, like I spoke about the Song of Jubilee. I, didn't, I don't sing it much anymore. It's a bit of an old structure. Kind of the style of it is a bit clunky compared to what we sing now. But it came out in a, in a, in a prophetic rush, and then we, I added some verses to it. It came out like a chorus, and everyone sang it like an anthem, and then it just developed out of that. So God's got many of those. Many of you, some of the musicians will sing spontaneous songs. But you see, if we, if we leave it up to them, I was so impressed with, what's your name? Your worship leader? Viv. Fire. Just full of fire. Just wailing, crying out to God. I'm like, ah, this is amazing. But I thought a lot of it was coming this way. And I was waiting for more of it to come that way. Because you see, again, if we rely on skilled worship leaders to come on, take us into worship, then we've lost our position as priests. Because each of us are worship leaders. We're not relying on some skilled musicians to come on, guys, let's really worship God. You know, that's a little bit old and tired. In the New Testament, we're, we're, we're thermometers thinking, oh, I'm going to sing some new songs now. So what is a new song? It's, it's a song about your life. It's a song about your joys and your failures and your successes. It's a song that you sing. And if everyone else is singing a new song at the same time, well, they're going to hear you singing. They're not sure. It's not really for them, but it is for you. It's, you see, when I was, I was standing with Superman worshiping, and we were getting on in the Spirit tonight. There was, a, there was a thing happening. like It was just lovely. I could feel his energy was, was matching my energy. Because I've got a lot of energy for worship. I thought, this is good. I, 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 like, I, I like worshiping with him. Because, you see, that's what it is. I, my energy is encouraging his energy. And I hear someone from the back, and they're singing out loud. I'm like, I don't know who that is, but I know that's, that's blessing me. Oh, I love that harmony. Your singing is amazing. Did you realize that? I mean, really, I thought, is this a, is this a, have they got backing tracks? It, it sounded that good. I mean, I know that you're using a drum machine and, and some, some tracks there in the back, which is very clever, if I may say so. I wouldn't know how to do that. But your voice is very good. You two sing together so well. That's like amazing. You know, you need to say that. When people are good, you're going to say, that was really good. We always applaud the band when they finish leading because they poured themselves out. They got here hours ago to prepare all this stuff for you. Come on. Very good. Yes. Amen. Amen. So, so, so spiritual songs are the thing that I love the most because it's the part of the service that kind of takes a detour. And we're going to say, God, where are you going to take us now? Are you going to take us up? Are you going to take us into these realms? Are we going to take us into realms where people then can start to encounter Jesus for themselves? 
where it's, where it's a bit out of the music structure of the song, and it's just a space. That's why I think that where we see in the Psalms that, that, ref, that phrase, selah, pause, it's a musical phrase. It's like, think a bit about that. Don't fill every space and color in all the spaces with, with more stuff. Just think about it. That's why it says spiritual songs. So the first part of the spiritual songs are new songs, and they're saying a new song. A new song is not an old song. A new song, you can sing it and never sing it again. You don't have to write it down. You don't have to record it. You just sing it out, and you just think about it for a bit, and it comes out, and then you just enjoy it, and, and like a piece of chewing gum, it just loses its flavor, and you think, oh, that's done now. That was good. Mm. Felt that. That was amazing. I feel refreshed by that. Then there's prophetic songs, which are a prophet prophesies the song of the Lord in, in song. Now, man, that's, that's a pretty amazing thing. I, I, I do it occasionally. My wife does it all the time. That she's a prophetic psalmist, so she gets them all the time, sometimes over individuals, sometimes for the church, often with an angel. She has an angel called Andrew who gives her songs. He gives her songs like karaoke. She gets the whole song. It's like, it's amazing. I haven't had that yet, but it's amazing. You know, it's like, wow. And you can feel it, the presence of God. <laughs> and that's why Paul said, when, when you get together, each one has a, 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 a hymn, a, a song, a prophecy. He says, let two or three prophets speak. Now, the prophets that can't sing should speak. Don't let, let, don't let non-musical prophets try and sing because sometimes we try to do things that then are awkward because we haven't got the musicality to back up our enthusiasm. And so we, it falls flat. No, when I, and sometimes as he sings out of a vision and it's quite, quite um, picturesque. And then I say to her at the end, why don't you tell us now in, in, in English what you saw, explain it, because sometimes the way you're singing it, we get a bit of it, but we're going to get more of it if you explain it as well. Does that make sense to you? So I'm saying how the, how the Spirit works is that He works through prophets, He works through songs, but each of us have a generator inside of us. And this is the, the, the part that all of us can do, is singing in tongues. Where Paul says, what shall I do? I can speak with my understanding, and I can speak with my spirit. I can sing with my understanding, psalms and hymns, and I can sing with my spirit. Does this make sense to you? Are you getting what I'm saying? So the, 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 the I will part is that I will. Your will is involved. You can, you can say, I, I won't. <laughs> I won't speak in tongues, and I won't sing in tongues. And I won't pray with my understanding, and I won't pray in the spirit. Or you can say, I will. If, if you will, if you'll say, I will, then you're going to get filled with the spirit. It's not complicated. This is very uncomplicated. Is this good? Every time I sing in the Spirit, I'm getting filled. I've got a charger in my, on, for my phone in the car, and I watch it. It's, it's, it started when I was in, in Kensington. It was on 8%, and by the time I got here, it was on 43%. What is that? It was getting filled. You see what I mean? Same thing with my spirit. I, I feel flat. I feel, I get up. I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? This is, I've got no pressure. I've got this. I've got five kids still at home, and this is happening, and... I've got to prepare meals, and I'm like, Ashabasando korabasen de mandea solala, pela mando se mamose la make asamola la mamane. I've gone from 7% to 8% right there with you watching me. Because, you see, I will do it. I can just switch it on whenever I want to. I've got a language, it's a heavenly language, it goes straight to heaven, bypasses the devil, he doesn't understand it. It's, it's my. 
language. It's, it's a heavenly language. God says, Paul says, when you speak in a language, you edify yourself. Prophecy edifies the church. Tongues edifies the individual. So he says, you should all speak in tongues. He says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. And I imagine he would sing in tongues more than all of us. Why? Because he needed a lot of strengthening because he was keep getting shipwrecked and stoned and left for dead and getting kicked out of cities. And now he lived a rough life. Come on. And we live in Sydney. Ah, oh, we need lots of singing in tongues in Sydney. Come on. It's an intense life. Very intense. And so there's, what did I say? There's new, the new song. There's singing in tongues. There's the prophetic songs. And then the last category is there's melodies of the heart. Just a melody. No words. Just, ah, 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 ah. Oh, Because melodies sometimes express things, longings, desires, things that are coming from the Spirit, that, that, that God is just drawing through your Spirit, and they don't need words. I've just given you five things that you can do to, to edify yourself to be filled with the Spirit. And we're going to practice it right now. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to jump on your guitar. Is that okay? Oh, good. All right. How many of you are filled with the Spirit and already speak in tongues? Put up your hand. All right. So that's good. How many of you would like to be released in tongues tonight? You haven't yet spoken in tongues. Awesome. We're going to pray for you. <laughs> Yay. All right. <clears throat> so how do we get filled with the Spirit if you don't yet speak in tongues? There are a couple of ways. Ask. Remember that Jesus said if you ask, how much more will the Father give the Spirit to those who ask? So God gives us the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've asked Him before, but I'm here tonight, and I'm here to encourage you and to say you can get some more. Amen? So ask. The first thing is to ask. Okay, Lord, Please fill me with your spirit. Sometimes it can happen through laying on of hands. I might do that, but I'm going to be holding a guitar for a bit. And I'm trusting that tonight what's going to happen is that as we all begin to sing in tongues, that those of you who don't yet speak in tongues are going to get filled. Is that cool? <laughs> it happens by osmosis. Thank you, Father. So we're going to sing in tongues together now, and you, can, you guys are going to join in, all right? Wow, that's wonderful, wonderful. Oh. five minutes and just begin to going to exercise that psalms and hymns and spiritual songs we've sung the psalms and hymns and now we're going to learn the love songs of heaven and begin to express the creativity 
that God's put inside of each of us. So we're going to start off with, we're going to sing with just, just songs.
like heaven. We all sing like that. Thank you so much. Bless you guys.